Welcome to the WP Tonic Podcast, brought to you by WPTonic.com, a WordPress maintenance and support service for business owners. We talk to the leaders in WordPress, business, and online marketing communities, bringing you insights on how to grow your business and achieve success. Welcome back, folks, to the WP Tonic Show. This is episode 336. It's our Friday roundtable show. We record this live at 8.30 a.m. Pacific Standard Time, which you can watch on the WP Tonic Facebook page and just might be part of the, the, the discussion. I'm already stumbling as we progress. We've got a great panel. Uh, um, it should be a, a great discussion. Um, Morton, would you like to quickly introduce yourself to the listeners and viewers? Hello, I am Morton. I am in Vancouver, Canada, uh, and I work for LinkedIn Learning, making courses about WordPress and other things that matter. Or That's not. Great. And we've got a great um, panelist. He's been off for a little while, but he's come back. And that's Lee Jackson. I'd like to introduce yourself to this as a viewers, Lee. Hello, uh, my name is Lee. Sorry about the angle because Dell have decided the new place for your webcam is at the bottom of your screen. So welcome what? to my nose. I know, right? And uh, I build. Are you websites. sure you didn't install that upside down? Yeah, yeah. I've got, I can switch it around. I I, uh, I build websites for design agencies from their designs, and I also run the Agency Trailblazer podcast and help agencies rock and roll. Yeah, it's and a great podcast. Having a giggle there. I'm loving it's it. A, it's a great podcast. I listen to it myself. Thanks, um, Spencer. Yes, to be on it. Yeah, Spencer, not to introduce you. Good morning, yourself. good afternoon. Spencer Foreman from WP Launchify. Uh, we help people who want to build a profitable membership site using WordPress and the marketing automation. Right. And Sally, would you like to list, introduce yourself to the listeners and viewers? Hey, certainly. Uh, my name is Sally Getch. I am the organizer of the East Bay WordPress Meetup in Oakland, California. And I'm also the WP fangirl. And uh, I am spending a lot of time untangling the peculiar code decisions of predecessors on uh, projects I inherited. So uh, if you're frustrated with your current website, uh, you might want someone to re review the code and tell you how it, it can be better for you. That's great. Right, let's start this off. Um, we've got two stories combined about Gutenberg. Gutenberg 3.4.0 RC1 release testing ramps up amid critical accessibility concerns and then Story two, WordPress accessibility team leading lead resigns, cites political complications related to Gutenberg. Would you like to start off this, Walton? What, what, what do you think about these two stories? Yeah, so this, this is a long time coming story that relates to many pieces. So there has been ongoing accessibility issues with Gutenberg. Um, uh, throughout the process. I mean, the Gutenberg team has basically re-engineered the entire way we publish content online. And in doing so, there are bound to be significant accessibility challenges, some of which have been fixed, some of which are still left up, uh, still left to be fixed, and some we don't really need, know until it actually ships out to the world as a whole. Um, so, the, what happened is after this very aggressive release date was uh, published last week uh, of November 19th, um, many in the accessibility team uh, voiced their concern that there isn't enough runway to fix the current 
accessibility issues. Um, the semi-public stance from various people in the WordPress leadership cadre has been that in the case of Gutenberg not meeting accessibility standards, people who need accessibility can downgrade to the, uh, the classic editor plugin, which isn't really a viable option for WordPress as a whole because it breaks with WordPress's official policy, which is that everything in the admin should be accessible. So there's a, there's a lot of politics involved in this. Um, now, Rian Rietveld has been the lead of the WordPress accessibility team for several years now. I think like three or four years. Um, and she has basically uh, driven that bus from the accessibility team being this ancillary thing that no one cares about to the accessibility team being an integral part of core development. So her achievements have been astronomical, both for WordPress and for the web in general. Um, she is simply burnt out by the resistance that she feels, feels the accessibility team has had in just working with WordPress in general, <coughs> and in particular with Gutenberg. And she felt this was... Like she, she couldn't break through the political issues around this enough to actually get anywhere. So that's why she stepped down, which is uh, damaging to WordPress and to WordPress's reputation, which is what we've seen with all the feedback that's come in. Um, but if we look at this from like, if we put away all the politics and just look at this from a purely, what does this mean for WordPress perspective? What we're seeing is... A lot of people in the WordPress community really care about accessibility. A lot of people outside the WordPress community are, may, are paying attention to what WordPress is doing around accessibility. And there's been some pushback around this. The commentary that's come up since Rian stepped down has a lot of it has been from people who previously have not been part of the accessibility conversation. Um, and some of the pushback is, oh, there are all these people who suddenly care about accessibility now and they're doing it just to harm WordPress or bash the Gutenberg team or something like that. From my perspective, having been involved in this since the beginning, that is not the case. What's happening is um, everyone, a lot of people were sitting on the sidelines saying, we're hoping that the accessibility team is able to drive this through and that they get the help they need. And there is an appearance, I'm not saying this is what is actually happening, but there is an appearance that a lot of the work that the accessibility team has done has either been sidelined or has not been fully implemented and there's been a lot of blockers in the way. And the communication that has happened this last week around how to handle accessibility has been very unclear as to exactly what's going to happen. There's talk of an external audit, but then there's no clarity of what happens if the audit comes back and says there are significant problems. At the same time, there's also talk of shipping Gutenberg regardless of whether or not the audit comes back or even if it's done in time and then patching accessibility in 5.0.1. And there's also talk of not patching accessibility issues because Gutenberg is already accessible enough. So there is, there's a huge communication problem in this whole situation, which has inflamed uh, the conversation significantly, made everything more complicated. And we're now at a point where the accessibility team is completely burnt out the new accessibility lead for Gutenberg is completely burnt out. The Gutenberg team feels attacked, justifiably so, by a bunch of people, including me, for, uh, for this. And I think everyone has to like turn the volume down like 8,000%, step back and actually look at the situation of what needs to be done. What needs to be done at this point is 
full accessibility audit, the time necessary to actually fix whatever issues are there, whatever that means, and clear communication from the leadership team. And I think that's going to happen probably early next week, but it remains to be seen. Sorry for taking so long, but this no, is... No, no, but... No, that was, that was very well done. Yeah, thanks. Um, Spencer, what do you think? I mean, nobody is in a better position to give that kind of information. So thank you, Morton, because I think the insider word is really the deal. What I take notice of is the political uh, outside stuff. Interestingly enough, on WP Tavern, I was surprised, not entirely, but Scott Bowler, you know, from the classic press movement, the alternative, uh, tried to make a comment at the top and somehow got blocked or removed by Sarah Gooding, which is surprising uh, on the uh, accessibility issue. And I think what's you know, being demonstrated here is that whatever's going to happen is going to happen, but it's going to be a little bit of a shitstorm. And I think it's going to probably drive a lot of people to opposite sides, what, whether this comes up before the holidays or not. Last interesting observation to me was <laughs> the, the egocentric viewpoint of Americans most people in America are given the whole, like, it's Thanksgiving holiday. Do you want to be working over the holiday? And the people in Europe are like, uh, hello, like, not our problem. Just get it out. So it's like, in Europe, we want it now. Let's see the ugly underbelly. In America, they're like, oh, can't we just wait till after the holidays so we don't have to leave our kids? And I just find this all amusing. Either way, like Y2K, I can't tell you how happy I'll be after all this kind of conversation goes away because I'm doing new installs every day and I have to go through this like thinking of Morton in my head. Press to install the classic editor. Activate the classic editor. I have to explain to my clients, this is a ticking time bomb and come November, December, January, we're going to have to talk about this again because something is not going to work here. And I just find this a big distraction. Yeah. Um, Lee, what do you think... Do you think accessibility is really taken that seriously in the top echelons of WordPress? Um, everything's a perception, isn't it? So the perception that's being given is that it's not. If we're still rushing this date to push it live and then we're saying, well, you can always activate the classic editor, what we're saying is, I'm really sorry, but if you are visually impaired, then you will not get to enjoy the same experience that people who can see will enjoy. You're going to have to wait. Uh, and I think that sucks. And if that's what they're saying, I, I've, I've not read that necessarily anywhere, but if they're saying, oh, well, you'll just have to install Classic Editor, I don't think that's really very fair. Personally, I think they should wait and get it stable, get all four pages worth. I had a look. One of them is like as old as early last year that's still not been resolved. Get all of these accessibility issues resolved and then get it live so that everybody can use it rather than having one particular set of people who are not going to be able to benefit from it. Because personally, I think Gutenberg is freaking brilliant. It, uh, it works really well. We're building sites using it already. We've been doing it for a few months now to get clients into it, get, getting them understanding it. It works well. They understand the concept that it is a content editor. They can structure their content. It's not a page builder. They understand, they understand it and they're working with it well. We're working with it well. Um, but I'm not happy that um, accessibility would be pushed to the side and people be told, oh, just install Classic. Uh, it, it suggests that you're putting a inferior product out there as soon as you can. I don't know why we would rush it. That's my opinion. Yeah. Um, Sally, um, do you think, in general, do you think page builders, do you think most of their code is that accessible? Or is it 
right? Most of them. I, I honestly haven't checked. I mean, it, it was interesting to me reading uh, some of the discussions uh, that you know people brought brought up the fact that uh, well, the you know the the core classic editor is is accessible, but you know often for you know in order to do the things that um, you can do with Gutenberg, people install plugins and they don't necessarily control or know and and you know it might be uh useful to audit them side by side but i also don't think it's necessarily accurate to say that oh the you know to suggest as some people have that that the people making objections about uh, gutenberg's accessibility are doing it based on older versions because some of those people were working on active development stuff and they they must have been current with with what it's like but i do think you know this has brought up something very serious about the rush to release and that uh yes on the one hand the issue of uh holidays and uh you know the e-commerce uh black <coughs> friday and cyber monday stuff and all of that is a, a you know a, a big deal but the accessibility is actually a bigger deal. And I think the reason that people are, quote, suddenly, unquote, uh, interested in accessibility isn't that they never cared about it. It's that they didn't realize that there was still so much of an issue. And, and I don't think, you know, I think people have probably been unfair to the team that's been, you know, uh, doing the best they can. But, yeah, it's hard to see that there's a good reason not to have an external accessibility audit. Uh, you know, wait for the results, fix at least the biggest problems it uncovers, fix the known issues that, that we have, you know, and, and release early in the next year. Uh, and lots of people were volunteering, uh, you know, suggesting companies that could do it, an audit and, and offering to donate money. And, you know, people, people are really behind that and, and automatic, I think is willing to pay for it, but uh, yeah, it's it's not much good having somebody do the audit if you're not going to take any action on it or if you don't have plans to take action on it. Yeah, yeah, yeah I, I I thought that was excellent, Sally. Um, yeah, I think we I think there's not much more to say about it. We just do you want to say any more, Moulton, about it? No, we just have to wait and see. I'm I'm looking forward to hearing what the I think. Yeah, I do have something to say. I think it was quite sad. The, 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 the key here is there is a difference of opinion between people about whether or not the accessibility issues that are currently in um, Gutenberg are significant enough to, uh, to warrant even conversation about a delay. And the only way to actually verify that is by doing an external audit. Um, now, some people who have done audits before, like me, will say this just doing an audit will push the timeline out because an audit will take probably two weeks it, it, just in the work before it actually, the results actually come out. At which point, that's at least two weeks from now, which means there's only, what, three weeks left of development. Um, so, uh, you know, and if it comes back and says everything is fine, then everything is fine. If it doesn't, that leaves almost no time to fix anything. And so... We just have to wait for the audit. And I'm going to just step back from this entire conversation until we have the results of the audit. And then once the audit comes out, we then have to have another conversation in public about what we do <coughs> and what values WordPress stands for. So at this point, 
we can't do anything. We just have to wait for this audit to actually happen. Mm-hmm. Yeah, before we go on to the next subject, I, I've, I felt sorry for her, but um, and it was quite sad, but I've, I felt she did the right thing. I've, I felt that if I was in her shoes, I would do exactly the same. Her position was untangible, um, really, um, and I don't think she had any to keep any credibility personal credibility she didn't have any alternative but to resign really but that's just my opinion um so on to the next story um google plus will be shut down after user information was exposed what did you think of this one sally um well let's see there there are kind of two two things that come immediately to mind one being oh another day another data breach um And, you know, the other is, is of course, wait, was Google Plus still a thing? Uh, <laughs> and, you know, I mean, it's, it's become kind of a ghost town. And I wonder if this isn't almost sort of a, a convenient excuse to get rid of it. Uh, but, you know, it, it is also uh, distressing that, yeah, I mean, I, I'm thinking right by now, all of my data must be out there somewhere because, you, you know, somebody has lost it. It's impossible to have perfect security, but it's, you know, unacceptable to have data lost uh, like this and know about it and not tell people. Yeah, it was a bit naughty. The main reason why I put it in our discussion was that uh, it's like one of those stories how I had different parts of me had different views about it. Part of me thought it's a strange time to kill it, really. With You might actually f- consider regenerating it um, because of the trouble that Facebook is facing and kind of rebrand it and say this is and make it kind of semi-open source or whatever kind of PR message you want to do with it and say this can be a credible alternative just to spite Facebook a bit. Uh, uh, the other thing, the other part of me thinks, yeah, it's probably a good time to just kill it off. Uh, um, it's a good excuse. I, I kind of kind of swam from one view to the other. What do you reckon, Spencer? Google has become, in my mind, an irreplaceable part of everybody's workday, but they keep demonstrating the same pattern of behavior, which they is... They do, don't they? That's very good, yeah. Create something, get everybody excited, they think it's going to work, then they realize they're not capable of running it in a way or the world just changes. And then they just out of the blue kill it. For example, every day I have a conversation, which Google product is going to go away? Recently, Google Inbox, go away. I adopted it. I use it. I love it. I found out for some reason they're killing it. I think, I don't know. It's because they're making Gmail more like Inbox or this or that or whatever. So what I see here is, let's be honest, the days are numbered for whatever Facebook's original intent model was because of all the things we've discussed in all these other shows, right? The politics and the scamming and the manipulation and blah, blah, blah. And I have three boys under 18. Don't go anywhere near Facebook. So there's a chasm of people, you know, that are dwindling down to like zero teenagers. I can't imagine why Google would go after it. Let's now take advantage of the fact that Facebook is in a, a holy mess because <coughs> that business in general is just not a, a business model for the 2018 and beyond. It was a business model that got us here, but it's not what's going to happen afterwards. Um, personally, I, I'm a little, I'm not going to say feeling like I'm not going to use them, but I don't feel the same love for Google like I feel for Jeff Bezos and Amazon because Google doesn't seem to be delivering anything really 
great for society these days. It seems the news reports we talk about in here are always special deal with China. And, you know, we're going to kill things that work for people that relied on them. And, well, we tried it, but it doesn't work. And even stupid stuff like uh, when he, uh, Sergey, I think, jumped out of the airplane to announce that they're getting involved in some aviation related. Like, there's just, they're all over the place, but their core business seems to be, can we just use our leverage to get people to say yes to something? And then maybe it'll stay around long enough to be useful. But if not, we have no problems either killing it or doing something with it that doesn't necessarily stay with our core thing that you got on board with, which was, wasn't it supposed to be do no evil or something like that? It seems like it will do evil-ish stuff if it suits our purpose, including harming those that have come to rely on a product when, you know, we could keep it around if we wanted to, but we won't. Yeah. Um, I want to ask Lee a question. I think one of the problems with Google Plus was actual interface design, actually. Uh, I, this... Um, where you linked people and it it was interesting, but it was also how you linked different groups. Well, it was a typical Google product design. It was designed by really clever people, but the I think a lot of people were really confused by their interface design. What do you reckon, Lee? <clears throat> to this day, I have no idea what to do with circles. Do you remember that? Yeah, yeah. yeah. Do they still even have that? I gave in in the end. So yeah, I gave up. It was just totally. G- give me tags. Bob's. Give me tags. I'll, I'll know exactly what I'm doing. But uh, circles really threw me. Now I found this story confusing though because I, I do have a a a GDPR comment to make. Um, so with GDPR in the UK and in Europe, that was like another, like Spencer said, Y2K moment. Everyone's freaking out, running around. Then GDPR date hits, and no one dies. And we're all good. Now, there's not yet been any lawsuits as yet to test GDPR. What I'm interested in, um, first of all, was some data actually leaked? Because they're saying that there was a vulnerability that's been disclosed. I presume that therefore means that there was some data leaked as well. Um, And my understanding from reading all the GDPR documentation, all of it, because there's too much, but a lot of it was that even if you are a US-based company and you are storing data on European individuals, i.e. personally identifiable information, then you you should be reporting that, i.e. ASAP. So after May the 25th, if this was known about, this should have been reported to the European whoever sits there at a desk receiving that report because they store information. They also have Europe-based businesses um, underneath the alphabet um, business model, etc. So I'm kind of wondering whether or not something might kick off over that. I'm less interested in Google Plus closing. I'm more interested in, will this be any sort of test case for GDPR? Because that is such a big kind of unknown minefield. Yeah, it's a great point, actually. I didn't really... um thinking that way what do you reckon Morton about what just Lee's just said and also would you pass any comment about how was the interface this circle thing was that really why one of the major reasons why it never caught on really Mm, I don't think the circles caused the problems I think Google was trying to like jumping on a bandwagon that was already (laughs) like they were trying to take ownership of a market that was already saturated by two other well-established platforms. Right. <clears throat> I remember when Google Plus first came out, I was actively on it for a while. And what I realized was um, the audience that was on Google Plus was very tech-oriented and very 
there was a lot of talk on Google Plus about Google Plus. So there was a large portion of the content that I saw on my Google Plus feeds was about how to use Google Plus, how to do marketing on Google Plus and everything. And it was like, when everything becomes, what is it called, inside baseball? Like when everything is talking circularly about itself, there is no social network, right? Um, and the, I mean, the last time I logged into Google Plus is at least three years ago now. Uh, and I was like, oh, why? It's still there? I thought they killed that thing a long time ago. I honestly thought they killed it because they did say at some point that they were going to just shelf it. And I was surprised that it was still active because who uses Google Plus anymore? It has no purpose. Um, so, yeah, that thing never made any sense. There, the idea of circles, if you think, like, think about Twitter, but having circles. So you can like, instead of having this really complex list system, if you could easily pull people in and saying like, this is one group, this is another group, these two groups are affiliated with each other. And then you could say like, I only want to see tweets from this group right now and I don't care so much about these people. It would actually make sense. But in Google+, Plus, with everyone just talking about Google+, Plus, it made no sense at all. So, uh, but then, you know, ignore that whole part. The story of this security breach just brings home the point that everyone also said that there is no such thing as security online. Uh, and it brings up this thing that I keep harping on, which is it's important for us to have legislation that puts the responsibility of remedying the consequences of security breaches on the companies rather than on the individuals. Because what we see again and again is when there's a security breach um, and someone is harmed by it in some way, like they have their identity stolen or they have data stolen or they have their images stolen or whatever, the companies are not held, uh, held liable for this because they have some sort of use, end user agreement that says that they're not responsible. But that's simply not okay. We have to change laws and regulations so that the company is held responsible for fixing whatever damage is caused by their lack of security. Because they can't justifiably say that the data you put up on any service is secure. There is no such thing. The internet is an information distribution network. Any attempt that somehow securing data on the internet goes against the grain of what the internet is. So any claim that anything on the internet is secure is simply false because at any point, the only way you can, the only thing you need to get into data is a password because there's no other way of securing data than a password. Even with encryption, you just need the key and then you get in. So, I think that's a great point. Thanks for that. Um, before we go for our break, I want to talk about one of my great sponsors. I love my sponsors. And that's Kinster Hosting. And with Kinster Hosting, they're, I think, the best alternative and basically a lot better than WP Engine, basically. Better value better team, small enough to still care, big enough to have all the resources that you're looking for as a developer for your clients. Or if you're a power user client, got a membership site, e-commerce, WooCommerce, look at Kinsta. Um, got all the latest versions of PHP, got staging site. Their technical support people know what they're talking about. When you put in a ticket, you get a logical answer. Um, just a superb company. They host the WP Tonic website. I host some of my client websites with Kinsta. 
I can't praise them more. So um, go to the WP Tonic site. There are affiliate links on the site. You'll be supporting the show. Or go to Kinster and find out more about their great hosting for you and your clients. So we're going to go for our break, folks. We'll be back in a few moments. Do you want to spend more time making money online? Then use WP Tonic as your trusted WordPress developer partner. They will keep your WordPress website secure and up to date so you can concentrate on the things that make you money. Examples of WP Tonic's client services are landing pages, page layouts, widgets, updates, and modifications. WP Tonic is well known and trusted in the WordPress community. They stand behind their work with full, no question asked, 30 day money back guarantee. So don't delay. Sign up with WP Tonic today. That's wp-tonic.com. Just like the podcast. We're coming back, folks. Lee's been naughty as usual. He's probably on to the third glass of wine. It will probably get worse and worse as, as we go on. Uh, um, on to the next story. Um, this is this one that I thought, uh, when I first saw this, I thought, this is crap. But when I actually re- read it, I thought, yeah, I like this story. I'll butt it in. Five actionable ways to improve your WordPress site with artificial intelligence, AI. What, filled with buzzwords, isn't it, Spencer? What did you think of this one, Spencer? I think this is stretching AI. <laughs> Amen. I, think, I think it stretched from the beginning myself, uh, uh, well, I, you know, an interesting, I have a client who came, um, to us originally to do a site about baseball players that go overseas and he's having a good time of it, but he asked me a question. Um, should I use robots on the front of my site? Because he said, I read somewhere that robots get 85% response rate where emails only get 30% response rate. And I thought it was an interesting metaphor because in the world we live in, I mean, that's where my space is, is I'm like Rosetta Stone between words people don't understand and things they can actually do. And I think AI is one of those words that we're going to see really abused in the future. And this is one of them. Uh, I like that there's stuff you can automate, marketing automation, uh, streamlining processes. On a personal level, I think most people need to think about for their actual end reasons, like why will this help my business? that having a conversation with their potential clients or customers is always going to be the better way to do things. And I find that most of these sites that are off onto bots in particular, I, I want to th- kind of throw things or hit things at the screen because the bots are programmed by a person who doesn't even understand me in the least. And most of the suggestions on this page are in line with that, which is I'm going to pre think about what my customers want, force this down their throat in a way that removes me from the conversation. And ultimately, I think that's bad for most people's businesses at the place we're at today. Maybe if you get one of those Boston Dynamic robots that I have that alternative link to, that will literally go, hello, let me come kill your children and also help your business. The lovely. There you go. That was a kind of different view of it. I thought, I thought, I thought some of the plucky, I thought some yeah, what do you reckon, Lee? <clears throat> well, I, I just don't think it's AI. Uh, I, I'm just going to mirror something that Spencer said. If you think about when you have a call center and people have all of these pre-programmed responses, that's not AI. That's giving people a list of common rebuttals and then saying, you know, just squirt this at someone when they say this. 
I personally do not identify that as as AI. So there is the bot, the bot side of things. Um, and I was saying to you, wasn't I? I'd be worried if I, I uploaded a picture and and the keywords of that first plugin said your mother-in-law or something like that. That'd be really awkward, wouldn't it? You know, we we gotta we gotta double check these things. Um, is it artificial intelligence if it's recognizing shapes and putting in? You keywords? actually said something a lot ruder. I did probably off yeah. off air more than likely. Um, but I I. I've just it was like a scene out the life the life of Reginald Perrin. You remember that series? <laughs> no, I don't. I'm not as old as you, mate. And oh, um, <laughs> I don't. I just don't. Well, I mean, obviously, kids, if you're listening, just go on the internet, like Google it. It's in the history book somewhere. And um, I just don't understand how. Uh, I thought artificial intelligence was, especially with that Turing test, where there is. Um, artificial intelligence is something that can think, that can respond, and that can almost fool you into being human. Right. Um, whereas reacting to inputs is just kind of what programs do. So yeah, I'm with Spencer. AI is totally an overused word. However, that's not to say that the five plugins aren't actually quite cool. Yeah, they're quite because interesting. I was saying that, but the word AI really annoys use, me. Another buzzword is automation, that? right? Automate. These would be. That sounds cool. Automation. This is I'm with automation. That. Yeah, that's nice. I like that. That right. sounds sexy, but not AI. It's not AI. It's and yeah. it's like when social media first came out. Um, the the sales team that were going to do sales calls for our agencies years ago. This was like 15, 20 years ago, and they were like, "We'll just say social media all the time because that's the buzzword, and people will be like, you 'You're a cutting edge agency because you say social media,' and they would use it so out of context. It was ridiculous. We can design your social media, and we'll implement a social media for you. And I was like, "Oh my gosh!" Anyway, sorry, rant over. Yeah, before I throw it over to Morton and Sally, is um, what occurs to me is a video I watched a few months ago by Neo Kromsky, and he was he was asked this question: "You know, what do you think of AI?" And you know, there's been people like Sam Harris and other and um, Musk say, so, you know. Um, we're on the verge of AI intelligence that's going to destroy humanity. And Stephen Hawkins, the late Stephen Hawkins, kind of also agreed with them. But Neo Kromsky put this quite extensively well in this video. He said, he's, this, and this is the guy, I know he's known for all his political stuff, but this is the guy that um, moved on um, language, the science of language, to a higher level. He's one of the brightest guys I've ever met. And um, he said, well, we don't really understand how bees communicate with one another, really. You know, bees live in a quite a complex um, society, really. He said, and when you really look at the scientific information about how, how bees actually communicate in the hive, we don't even understand that. He said, so how are we going to understand how human beings really understand and mimic them with so-called artificial intelligence? Basically, he was saying it, it was just a bandwagon and the basic scientific knowledge behind it. And if Noam Kromsky says that, I think I listen to him a bit more than other people. What do you reckon, Walton? What do you reckon? Yeah, this is machine learning. It's not AI. There is no such thing as AI right now. There is, there is no artificial intelligence. There's machine learning. There are yeah. neural networks, but there's no AI. That's not to say that AI isn't just around the corner. Uh, more than likely, the internet will turn into an AI of some kind and kill everything. Uh, and well, don't like, you realize it's already The reality is the second you get some sort of connected device that's 
actually self-conscious and has the ability to perform actions on the world, we are in deep, deep trouble. And that's what uh, Musk and all these other people are talking about. They're not saying that, you know, the machine learning algorithm that can help you put alt text on your images is going to kill people. They're saying, once we create a thing we don't understand and don't control and connect it to the internet, we actually don't understand or control what it's going to do. And more than likely, it's going to do what all these machine learning algorithms are doing, which is take every single bad bias humans have and, and amplify it a million percent. And uh, we already know that uh, people are extremely easy to sway. Um, people are extremely easy to mislead. Um, and there have been massive international events that have been caused by groupthink on the internet, um, where only years later we realized that actually this entire situation happened because people on one side of the planet were influencing people on the other side of the planet without understanding that they were doing that. And therefore, a, a social event happened that then, that then got sent back over and no one actually ran that event at all. It was just a bunch of people acting in some sort of weird social conflation that then caused a bunch of weird things to happen. And then, of course, you have the Brexit and Trump situation where you have um, political decisions made to benefit algorithms, uh, advertising algorithms, uh, with a complete disregard for what actually happens to the humans involved. Um, so, yeah, like the concern over AI is real. The problem is when we talk about AI, we're not actually talking about AI, we're talking about machine learning, which is something completely different. So to this article, I'm going to just break it down for you very quickly. Do not use machine learning to put alternative text on your images. That is completely misunderstanding the purpose of alternative images. It is a dumbass idea. It should not be done. That plugin should just be removed. I mean, it's cool, but first of all, AI is, or machine learning is ex like us really bad at describing images. If you go follow the Twitter the Twitter bot that does this, it's called uh, Pick Desk Bot. It's very interesting to see how, because if you give it a super clear image, like a human being signing in front of a white background, you get a very good description. But it also describes like the pinned tweet on Pick Desk Bot as a drawing of a dinosaur with a meter stick underneath it. And it said a dinosaur riding a surfboard, right? So... They, they follow that Twitter bot to see how bad machine learning is at describing complex images. There's also people that are literally doing research on how to get um, machine learning to misunderstand what's in an image on purpose by putting junk into image data. So to humans, it looks like one thing and to these machines, it looks like something else. However, the entire purpose of alternative text is to provide context to people who don't see the images when they are reading an article. That context is often not a description of the image itself. It is a description of the relationship between the image and the content. If you follow the alt text decision tree, which is the official way of doing this, um, which was made by Joe Dawson, who is a member of the WordPress accessibility team, by the way, um, what you'll see is <coughs> the description of what's in the image is only one of like six different things you can do with alt text. So that, that should not be used. That does not improve accessibility. It's a bad idea. Um, the uh, next one is use AI to display the most relevant related posts. Sure. If you want to make echo chambers on your site, that's fine. Um, refine your WordPress content for its emotional impact. No. That doesn't work. That's just nonsense. Uh, find the best content to curate using machine learning. You know how this article ended up with the title AI instead of machine learning? By using a plugin like this. Um, 
chat with your visitors using conversational AI. Yes, everyone loves to talk to a computer instead of a human being. That is the number one thing I want to do all my life. And that really makes me respect the people I talk to. Whenever you call, like whenever you type something in and it says, hi, I'm John, what do you want? And then you answer and you're like, I need help with this thing that's on fire right now. And then 18 minutes later, John <laughs> appears and you're like, yeah, okay, I wasn't talking to John, I was talking to a machine. None of these things benefit you as a business. These are terrible ideas. I mean, they're cool as research. They're not things you should be using for your business to improve your business. They may hurt your business. They may drive people crazy, but they will not help you in any way. So. Are you saying I've jumped the shark? <laughs> well, right. You didn't write the article. No, no. But, oh, right. What do you yes, mean? you know, Jonathan, I'm not sure you use that phrase, the, the, the way it's meant to be used. Um, but, uh, uh, you I know. Jumped, I jumped the shark a long time ago. Uh, but, uh, you know, I mean, everything Morton said is, is true. And, you know, I, I use Windows products and I put images in things. And it does that little alt text suggestion. And, you know, every single a screenshot I might put in anything always comes up with, like, a picture of a cell phone. Uh, well, you know, so it's not even an accurate description. And it certainly doesn't provide context. Um, I have a colleague who worked for some years with IBM and still does a lot of uh, big data stuff. And he likes to talk about augmented intelligence, meaning, you know, Stuff computers can do to help you understand uh, masses of data, or or do something more than that. And so it's you know it's 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 a machine that helps augment your intelligence. Uh, but this does all kind of go back to the uh, talk by James Mickens we covered in a in a past episode where he says like yeah so machine learning it's kind of like the egg drop test you just like try things until you find something that works. It's like nobody really understands it. And a lot of experiments with it show you that it rapidly picks up on all of the worst parts of humanity and amplifies them. And it's quite easy to, to see from some of those experiments uh, why people think that, you know, the, the end of the world is nigh if we ever manage to create something that has self-consciousness and also this capability to, to reflect all of the worst things about ourselves. Well, it's going to be very difficult. Most of the people I know aren't self-conscious. There we go. If you, uh, if you, if you actually follow the space, you'll find some really interesting things. For example, uh, the people who do the most intense research work on machine learning actually openly admit they don't understand what's happening. And a lot of the major projects that they undertake end up being shut down simply because you can't justifiably run software you don't understand on major servers. So there's lots of these services that are offered to people who literally get killed because they're like, oh my God, this, it invented a new language we don't understand. Or it's doing this thing where there's an entire like lacuna of software that wrote itself without our knowledge that does something that is completely incomprehensible and produces outcomes we cannot predict in any sensible way. So um, there's a really good um, uh, lecture that's on YouTube right now from uh, uh, the, like, the Security Congress of the United States or something like that, where the, uh, prof a professor from MIT who does machine learning talks about how insanely dangerous this stuff is because we are relying on it for things like law enforcement and political decision-making and distribution of wealth and stuff like that. And we don't understand anything of what's going on. And he actually shows the math behind it 
And when you see the math behind it and you say like, anything from this point onwards is an unknown by design. And you realize that all the decision-making is being done in a place where no one understands what's going on. Then you understand that this is yeah, well, there we you know, go. risky stuff. Let's see what the condition is. On to the next story. Um, um, I was, I, right. What marketers are saying about Facebook new portal video chat devices. The reason why I threw this story in is that there's a, obviously a big land grab for voice search, you know, between Amazon, Apple, Google, and now Facebook to some extent. And why you would, tr- <laughs> why you would want a device in your house that goes to Facebook, I do not know. But there we go. What do you reckon, Spencer? <laughs> I'd like to be known in our little group as the te- as the cynical tech guru because I if there's anything to buy or try I mean I'm all over it right my house is loaded with Amazon devices Echo I can't say her name Alexa because she'll she'll say something but she hears me point is in a trillion lifetimes I would never put anything with a camera and a microphone near me that's connected to Facebook. I mean, just just send your social security, your phone it, number, it's, and a it's picture. It's connected to Facebook through Amazon. Even better. I mean, even with Amazon, I only have the non-picture ones. I mean, I looked at that sexy new thing with the camera and the whatever, and I'm like, yeah, I know they're going to be recording. And I do some stuff I don't need those pictures on the internet. At least I can avoid saying stuff. But I can't avoid walking around my house doing certain stuff. But like, come on, like, who is the brain trust that thought this was ever going to fly? You're going to see these like on Amazon for $1.99 next month or being liquidated into China or something. Because like, who would ever connect hardware and software to their interpersonal lives to Facebook? Well, probably about half the planet. No, I disagree. These are all those people that that Jonathan knows that aren't self-conscious. I want to tell you one one little minor story about age age difference thing, right? Like I was mentioning, and this is fact, my kids and teenagers and even millennials do not find themselves on Facebook. But the people of my generation, I'm your age, Sally, you know, 29. And for our generation, I have a, I have a, you're 29, I'm 51. Okay. I have a trike flying website that's been around since 1999 and it's all basically 45 plus. When I recently lost the website because the platform finally closed down, it was on an old before Facebook platform. I sent everybody to a Facebook group. Half of the 5,000 people refused to go there. I said, why? And it was always the same thing. I blah, 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 my privacy, blah, 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 those crazy people, blah, 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 the political. And these aren't the kids. So you got the 45 pluses won't touch it. You got the under 30 somethings won't touch it. Who's left other than like the people that have groups they're marketing to? I mean, that's it. Like nobody. And I think that they've recognized it themselves. We're totally off par, but like this is ridiculous because if they're going to succeed anywhere, Facebook is going to morph into one of their sub products, like their Instagram or something. They are, you know, but they're all, you say all these young people, they're all on Instagram and Facebook is sucking. And and it's also the the thing about the teenagers is yes, of course, as teenagers, they don't want to be on the social network. Their parents are on. That is a absolutely normal thing for a teenager, but they get older and then they have to interact with people who are not their local group with, of friends. And they have to start using things like email because those are in their workplaces. And so as they get older, they age into certain things if they're required to. You know, my niece is graduating from high school this year. And she said that the colleges set up Facebook groups for students. And, they're, you know, they're closed 
groups. They, they may even be secret groups. I, I don't know. Um, but also, uh, my <clears throat> sister-in-law said, uh, and there are all these Facebook groups for like mothers of teens who, or of, of college students who share like photos of how they've decorated their child's dorm room. And so it's, yeah, I mean, there are people out there doing really... I'm, jo- I'm joining it. Some, s- silly, silly, irresponsible uh, things on the internet. And I'm sure there will be a use for these things, but I don't think it will be universal. Lee, Lee looks totally... Lee doesn't even know why he's, he's... He's lost the plot. He doesn't even know why he came on here, do you, do you Lee? <laughs> well, that, I, I think I, I, I disagree with Spencer because he's going on about Facebook and like, where is everybody? But like... I'm on Facebook and I'm 36, so clearly I'm a little bit younger than Spencer. Uh, I'm messing, man. And um, he looks you're, you're in the pocket, my really. I'm not <laughs> saying. And let me clarify. I, I, your point, I don't want to interrupt, but I'm not saying nobody's on it. I'm saying that the people who are in the pocket are below 45 and above 30, and they're using it for marketing and business, and that's it. And maybe you know, like Sally says, maybe there's like a college forces you. But if you ask people like, what's their preferred method of communicating? I'm finding like very few people would ever like, oh, let me put a camera and a microphone connected to my Facebook. I, I guess it depends on the age of people you're talking to though, mate. Because I mean, I'm looking at my 1,000 odd Facebook friends. Most of them, I'd say, I, I mean, let's guess, at least half of them are not in business. My mom's on Facebook. Okay, that's an age thing. But there's an also a lot of teenagers from our church that are on Facebook. And most people that I'm communicating don't want to text. They want to use Facebook Messenger, which drives me freaking crazy. Yeah. Um, so, But equally, I'm 36 and I'm probably going to be using Facebook for another 20 or 30 years. So I think Facebook's got a pretty good future as well, even if it's old. old yeah, I mean, I, I think a lot of people it. don't yeah. want a camera connect and, and screen on them all the time connecting to anything. Well, I, can see, I, can, <laughs> I do, apart from sense. in the restroom. I got no, nothing to hide. <laughs> I, I can, before I throw you over to Malton, I can, even though um, I call them the cockroaches of the internet, the people that run Facebook. I can see loads of people using this conversation device. <laughs> Actually, I can. What do you reckon, Morton? I have a Google Home. We yeah. use it to turn off and on the lights and play music for Leo and read the news in the morning, a bunch of fancy things. I mean, these these devices, we've had these devices in our pockets for like 10 years. The only difference here is that Facebook wants to place this thing in the house. So it's yes. there yeah, the you have. I, now, I still have a dumb phone. <clears throat> the funny part about the story is there's been this ongoing conspiracy theory online that's been heavily investigated, which is, which is some version of Facebook is always listening to me. And it's related to how you have a conversation about something totally bizarre. Like, I wonder if uh, I can rejuvenate my old leather chair by using hand lotion. I mean, it is skin, so shouldn't that work? <laughs> that and then sounds you, so dodgy. And you go you know, on uh, YouTube, no, you go on Google and you search for, can I use? And then it says, hand lotion to, to fix old leather furniture. And you're like, uh, yeah, that's not a normal thing people search for. So, no. Surprise, I think, that's, I think that's trending as we speak. Send me so, a link, by the way, to the, the show. I mean, the, the, the thing is, I've actually done research on this and I still don't know the answer. because it's, it's unclear to me, but that doesn't matter. Um, <coughs> the, the, pro, like, the, the thing is, tons of people believe and have seemingly good reason to believe that Facebook is always listening to you. So if you have your 
if you have Facebook on your device, the Facebook is constantly listening to you. My friend Ryan has a really good argument against it. And that is he does not have, um, uh, or maybe it's four. Uh, oh no, no, no. He, he set up an experiment for me and I kind of think it's not listening because he gave me a topic to talk about that I never do any research on. I never search anywhere. I don't like, it's completely outside of my field. And I talked about it all the time in front of people and Facebook has not surfaced that particular topic. And it's not like some uncommon thing. It's a very common thing that a lot of people talk about that is just outside of my sphere. So Facebook is not listening to you, but Facebook tracks every single thing you do so that you, and, and puts all the pieces together and see like, who are you physically connected to and close to and all that stuff. This thing that they want to put into your house just takes that up like a million notches and says that actually, you know, that whole conspiracy theory about us listening to you all the time, we're just going to explicitly listen, to, listen right. to you all the time and film you as well. So the Google Home, I think is a good idea. I will never buy a thing that has a camera in it because that adds a whole new level of uh, interference. Um, Google is also shipping that same product, by the way. They're, they're, they just launched the Home Hub or whatever that has a camera on it. Um, and I mean, the sales pitch is great. You have this thing and you can just say, hey, call mom. And then mom pops up, right? And then you can talk to mom or whatever. But, and, and for that convenience is good. The problem is you're going, what is, the, what is the intent here? It's advertising. Everything is driven by advertising. They just want to collect data on you so they can sell, expose you to more ads. If this service was a real service that you paid for, it would be fine. When you are paying through advertising, you are giving away all your data to a corporation that will use it to manipulate you. That's not fine. So this is like the dream of uh, video, the video phone, except instead of paying the phone company, which would just facilitate communication, you're paying through advertising and in return, you'll get manipulation, which is not great. But like I said, Facebook is not the only one doing this. Amazon's going to ship the same product. Google is already shipping the same product. Everyone is shipping. Microsoft has the same thing. Everyone's going to ship the same thing. So this is just going to become the new reality. That's my issue. The issue isn't, I, I mean, I think Lee made a very good point, by the way. I want to just say, like, I'm not making a comment about Facebook as a service for what it does. My comment was about nobody would voluntarily go and start using the things they're trying to push. Now, of course, your mom is on there. My dad is on there. We had dinner the other day. He's like, I can't even find you. I'm like, right here, for God's sake. He's on it, but he's not using it. The difference is who in their right minds would connect the ubiquitous hardware that we're all going to have to that service? I would give it to Jeff Bezos because at least my billionaire boyfriend would make my life better by delivering boxes to my house, whereas my billionaire Mark Zuckerberg would sell my soul. And at least that's their demonstrable, you know, actions. Are you really trying to say that Bezos is better than Zuckerberg? Are you really saying that? I am making a position on record that if I had to choose billionaires to be on an island with, and I'm leaving Richard Branson off because he'd be my first choice. It would be Jeff Bezos over Zuckerberg any day. And the reason is because Bezos seems to understand what I want in the matrix of my life. He's saying, here's a fake stake. You're going to be getting it from me. It's not real. And I'm saying, I'd rather have that than whatever, you know, is the alternative. And that's a part, you know, choice. We're all going to be at the, at the whims of whoever is controlling this thing anyway. So we might as well take a choice. I'll take the Amazon to look at pictures of me in the shower and listen to the noises I make. Well, when I'm all I've got to say to you, Spencer, my lovely uncle Spencer, I've got a slightly bigger boss than, 
than them, than them actually. <laughs> but there we go. Uh, um, I think we'll wrap this show up, actually. Um, Sally, how can people find you and what you're up to? Uh, you can on, find on me. Facebook, on Facebook? Not on Facebook. No, you, you won't find me on Facebook. I'm invisible on Facebook. And I, I really try not to use it. Um, but you can find me on Twitter at, at Sally Getch. Uh, and you can find me pretty much anywhere if you can spell my name. Uh, because uh, I am unique in Google. And my business is WPFangirl.com. And Lee, how can, you, how can people find out more about you and what you are up to? All right. Well, you can find me on Facebook uh, forward slash Lee Jackson Dev. If you want to add me as a friend or send me a messenger, that would be great because I like Facebook. Um, you can't find me on Amazon because they've not done a social media network yet. So that would be nice if they did. Um, and also agencytrailblazer.com. That's the podcast and, uh, and where you can connect with me there as well. And... Amazon fan Soprino, Spencer Forum. How can, how can people uh, find you? You can find me on Facebook at uh, Spence <laughs> Foreman, or uh, the business would be WP Launchify. I am shutting down all other accounts except for Facebook starting today. <laughs> and, and look for my new camera up there, by the way. Uh, shower view only. All right. I'm, 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 <laughs> Oh God, I would never watch that. Arab Moulton, Moulton. Sour view only. Oh dear. That's nice. That's lovely. That is, uh, that, that is, that, uh, that, that white privilege. Try to get that oh, one out of your head the rest of the day. Just try to get that out of your head. Oh, no, awesome. Thank you, Spencer. Okay. Um, bye -bye. You, you. you can find me on LinkedIn Learning. Uh, you can also find me on Twitter at Morton and there are still five days left of my fundraising campaign for the Norwegian Refugee Council uh, that I'm doing to celebrate my 40th birthday, which is next week. So if you want to contribute to that and help refugees and displaced people all over the world, you can go to morton.com slash Morton is an old. That is Morton spelled M-O-R and then the number 10, one zero, both times. Yeah. Or you can watch my videos, which I'm posting daily on uh, yeah, answering videos, random questions. No, I meant to do that over the weekend and I forgot. I'm going to go over and... Like you still have time. Yeah, I still haven't met now. my goal. You can do it. Every dollar counts. People do in the it. world are refugees and displaced and it's horrible. And these people do excellent work helping them. So... Very, I, I feel like a refugee here. Because <laughs> there we go. Um, we're going to finish the show now. It's been a great discussion. I thank the panel as well. Um, it's been a diverse group of topics, but I've, hopefully as the listeners and viewers, you realise there was some kind of logic to my, cho my choice of topics. And I think we have had an insightful discussion on many issues that are facing WordPress and the internet at the present moment. We'll be back next week, folks, with another great round a great roundtable show. We'll see you next week, folks. Bye. Thanks for listening to WP Tonic, the podcast that gives you a spoonful of WordPress medicine twice a week.